Hello, and welcome to the Vet Professionals Cat Cafe podcast series. My name is Sarah Caney, and I'm an RCVS specialist in feline medicine and founder of vetprofessionals.com. I've worked as a feline-only vet for more than 25 years and have been an RCVS specialist in feline medicine for nearly 20 years. I decided to set up a virtual cat cafe during the COVID-19 lockdown in March 2020 as a way of keeping in touch with cat owners and sharing my tips on cat care. The following podcast was recorded as a cat cafe Zoom webinar on the 26th of November 2020 and you can watch the recording on the video tutorial page of vetprofessionals.com. Look under the helpful info menu for video tutorials and then click on the Cat Cafe tab. In this session, I talk about diabetes mellitus. I explain how diabetes is treated and what carers can do to monitor their cats at home. Thanks for choosing to listen to this podcast. I hope you find it interesting and of help in your pet care. Hello, thank you for joining me this afternoon. So today's session is continuing last week's theme of diabetes mellitus and last week we spoke about what is diabetes and what does it mean for a cat, what are the, the clinical signs of diabetes, how is it diagnosed. Uh, this week we're going to talk about management of diabetes. And as always, if you'd like a copy of the slides, uh, feel free to drop an email and let us know. We can provide those for you. So what are the aims of treatment? What are the aims of management? And what does that mean? Um, well, broadly, I would say there are three aims of our management. The first one actually is, where possible, achieve diabetic remission. Uh, in other words, help the diabetes to, as it were, disappear. And I'll talk about that in a little bit of more detail in just a moment. Of course, in many cases, we can't make the diabetes go into remission. It, it's, it's there and it's a permanent issue that we need to manage. And for those cats, then the priorities are, what can we do to remove the clinical signs of diabetes so that our cats are as well as possible? and hopefully living as long and happy and healthy a life as possible. And also making sure that we minimize where possible any complications of diabetes. And that might relate also to the treatment as well. And I'll, again, I'll talk about each of these things in turn and hopefully all will become clear. So the first one, as I've said, is diabetic remission. Um, and this is where our management um, or indeed the cat's underlying disease processes um, allow the diabetes to disappear. And there are all sorts of examples of why and when this might happen. Um, and I've put a couple of examples on this slide, but there, there definitely are more. Um, but to talk through the examples here, we have, you can see on the left hand side, uh, a very handsome, uh, if rather over weight let's not beat about the bush cat Mr Bugs um, who actually was uh, a, a cat uh, owned by a colleague of mine so has a, a veterinary owner oops on the weight front uh, and we knew for a long time poor old Mr Bugs yes he he is a large cat but he also is definitely 
prone to being overweight and we had this little worry between us all that yes one day perhaps this would lead to diabetes because as discussed last week and as is the case in ourselves we know obesity is a risk factor for development of diabetes and lo and behold uh, when Mr Bugs was in uh, I think seven or eight years old middle middle aged um, he did actually develop diabetes mellitus. But the good news was that actually in his case, through changing his diet to a diabetic diet, which we'll talk about a little bit later on, um, but also through helping him to lose some weight, we were able to uh, put his diabetes into remission. So he was diabetic for a few months um, and then following management along the sort of ways that we'll talk about in a moment, his diabetes essentially disappeared. And whilst he always remained vulnerable to going back into a diabetic state, essentially we were able to, to cure his diabetes as far as uh, clinical signs were concerned. So that was a very good outcome. Another example of diabetic remission I've included here is this um, very poorly looking cat, uh, Rosie, who is um, in this photo. She's in, in the hospital. She's on fluids. She looks pretty depressed. I mean, she's she's not sleeping because she's had a very vigorous day. She's just very, very sick. And she had a diabetes that was associated with a ketoacidotic crisis, this emergency diabetic scenario, which happens from time to time luckily not too commonly in cats but in her case uh, all of this was associated with pancreatitis inflammation of her pancreas the pancreas is the organ in the tummy that produces insulin so of course when the pancreas is unwell diabetes is always possible but in her case it was because of this very uh, painful inflammatory condition which made her feel absolutely terrible but again in her case with um, aggressive management for her pancreatitis and also for her diabetes, uh, what we found was that uh, once her pancreatitis uh, settled down, her diabetes also disappeared. And so she too, like Mr. Bugs, was on diabetic therapy for uh, less than three months in total um, before she returned into diabetic remission. As I'll mention a little bit later on, cats that have uh, become diabetic and then go into remission definitely always, in my opinion, remain vulnerable to returning to diabetes in the future. So in Mr. Bugs's case, of course, we wanted to make sure his weight management was successful for the, the rest of his life because we knew that if he did uh, become overweight again in the future, that he would be very vulnerable to tipping back into diabetes. Some other examples which I've not included on here uh, of situations where diabetic remission is also quite likely would include cats that develop diabetes related to medication, for example, receiving high doses of glucocorticoid steroids uh, for management of inflammatory disease. Um, these cats also, if we can get them off the steroids, we've got a good chance of their diabetes disappearing. And even some cats just with a very standard diabetes, if we diagnose it early enough and we're able to treat it quite aggressively, we can help the pancreas recover and help that uh, diabetes go into remission. So that is always our aim. And probably it is achievable in about a third to possibly half of cases, I would say, typically. Some clinicians, some papers report higher uh, rates of, of uh, diabetic remission. But from my experience, I would say it's more like a third to possibly a half of, of the cases that I would see. 
So in those cases that remain diabetic, uh, what other aims do we have? Well, we definitely, of course, want to ensure that our patients have as good a quality of life and that therefore they're free where possible of the clinical signs of diabetes. And so as we talked about last week, common clinical signs of diabetes would include an increase in thirst and increase in urination because the kidneys can't keep that, that glucose in the body because the blood glucose levels are so high, glucose is lost into the urine and it takes water with it, meaning that these poor cats uh, produce large volumes of urine and therefore they have to drink a lot, otherwise they will become dehydrated. Um, so of course in our well-managed diabetic cats, we want that thirst and urination to return to normal levels. Uh, also for appetite to not be as ravenous, many diabetic cats are very, very hungry. Um, and because weight loss is a common feature of diabetes, a good outcome of course is going to be that we help our cat to maintain a healthy weight. So they're not losing weight or gaining weight and their weight is is, is healthy as far as we're concerned. And for the most part, achieving this resolution of clinical signs um, is through, um, for most cats, a combination of a special diet and insulin therapy with the aim of keeping our blood glucose levels, our blood sugar levels within a certain um, fairly narrow band um, and that band below the, what we call the, the renal threshold, which is the level above which the kidneys start to lose glucose in the urine. So um, for, um, for most vets and using the, the UK measurement system, which is glucose in millimoles per litre, that's keeping your blood glucose broadly between about five and about 12 millimoles as, for as much of the, the day as possible. And then the last um, important aim of our management is to avoid developments of complications. So we want our patient, of course, to have the best possible outcome. So that means that firstly, we want to protect them where possible from complications of their diabetes. So we manage the diabetes and hopefully that means that the cat's less likely to develop problems like the peripheral neuropathy I spoke about last week, where um, particularly the long nerves to the back legs are, are commonly affected affected and cats can develop what's called a plantigrade stance which is where they're walking with their hocks which uh, normally are well off the ground but uh, as per this picture the hock right on the ground because the nerve supplying uh, the muscles of the back leg has been damaged and therefore this sort of muscles aren't working um, as effectively as they should and this is also something that can affect the front legs and what we call a palmigrade stance where cats are walking essentially on the, the palm of their hand which when they should be walking on their fingertips. We also, of course, want to prevent development of ketosis, which is where because the cats can't use glucose, they start to use uh, break down uh, fat and muscle and break this into ketones, which can use, be used as an energy source. And that's helpful in the very short term. But if that is um, goes on for a long time or there is a high production of ketones, then that also makes our cats extremely unwell. This is an emergency situation. Cats can die very quickly if they develop this ketosis. So again, if we can manage the blood glucose levels, we, we prevent ketosis from happening. And luckily, actually, cats are less vulnerable to ketosis than some other animals such as dogs are. 
And we also know cats with diabetes can be more vulnerable to urinary tract infections. So again, treatment of diabetes helps to prevent that from occurring. Um, but importantly, also, we want to make sure that our treatment isn't associated with causing additional problems. And really, the key one here would be over treatment. So using too high a dose of insulin and causing hypoglycemia, which is where the blood glucose levels go too low. Um, and that, as you'll probably all will know, is e extremely dangerous. You can, you can kill a cat or a person or a dog by giving them an overdose of insulin because the blood glucose will go extremely low and that can cause seizures and it can make you slip into a coma and of course die. So very importantly with our diabetic cats, we need to make sure we don't give too much insulin. And that's uh, one reason why when we are stabilizing our diabetic cats, we always adjust the dose of insulin cautiously, as in by usually about half a unit at a time, but also slowly. You wouldn't increase the dose every day, even if it looks like the insulin is not really working, because it can suddenly have this cumulative effect and really cause a crisis. So we typically will say uh, when the dose needs to be changed, don't change it more than twice a week so that we know that we're letting the sort of insulin levels level out and, and we can see the impact of any change we've made before we make another change. So we'll talk more about insulin in just a moment. But first of all, I wanted to um, talk um, mainly about uh, firstly the, the general approach and then we'll start, I think, with diet. Um, but overall, the general approach for cats with diabetes, the most successful uh, management strategy involves a combination of things. It involves um, firstly a therapeutic diabetic diet where possible. Secondly, insulin makes a big difference to your success rate. And then thirdly, it's addressing any predisposing factors or causes which can be addressed. And that would include things like the glucocorticoid steroid treatment I mentioned a few minutes ago. So if the cat is receiving anti-inflammatory glucocorticoids and that has perhaps precipitated the diabetes, if we as clinicians can recommend an alternative treatment that will uh, treat the inflammatory condition but is not a steroid, that is better because then we can remove that glucocorticoid and hopefully um, the cat will regain their ability to control their glucose levels and the diabetes will disappear. And similarly, as you saw with Mr. Bugs, weight loss was very effective in him in resolving his, his diabetes. So if there are predisposing factors uh, that we can address, that, that of course is, is really helpful. Um, and uh, those cats that have more complicated underlying diseases, uh, like the pancreatitis that Rosie had, uh, can be more challenging. But again, doing what we can to address those is definitely helpful. But because the mainstay of management is a combination of diet and insulin, I thought this was probably the time point. I wouldn't normally say what's the general outcome with diabetes at this point, but I think if you were recently um, given news that your cat had diabetes, you'll probably be thinking, oh wow, insulin injections and a special diet. This sounds quite a lot and quite frightening. Um, what does this mean for my cat and what is the likely outcome? And in the, the vet world, we often 
struggle with getting good data published. We don't have the, the resources that health services for people have. So our case series tend to be a lot smaller um, in terms of publications. But there was um, a nice publication a few years ago, um, which uh, reported more than 100 cats with diabetes, which in vet research studies is a really huge study. So uh, very grateful to the authors of this paper for sharing their information with the rest of us. Um, and in this study of uh, 114 cats with diabetes, um, what they reported overall in terms of the prognosis was that about half the cats lived for more than two years with this disease. Um, and the overall median survival was 516 days. So just a bit, bit under two years. Some cats were for a variety of reasons, um, euthanized at the time of diagnosis, sometimes because there was a concurrent condition, which was also very difficult to manage. Uh, some cats had very severe ketoacidosis, this emergency condition, uh, which can be fatal in some cases. So, so the range of uh, outcomes in this study was quite large from a few days to to many years um, but um, it is a serious illness um, nonetheless I think for many cats um, they will do well with management so um, if you if you can um, uh, cope with that diagnosis and you think you can manage it then I think this is what you might expect to see a sort of median survival of, of uh, hopefully um, a couple of years. So diet I mentioned is really important as far as management of diabetes and over the years a number of different diets have been tried in cats with diabetes uh, following um, the same sort of pathways that are uh, used in other species so dogs and people for example um, and what's emerged um, is that for cats what seems to work best is a diet that is very low in carbohydrate so sometimes a diet that is uh, uh, analogous or in some ways analogous to the Atkins diet, which is very, very popular, maybe 10, 20 years ago. So the Catkins diet, you might uh, uh, call it from a, a feline perspective, but this is typically a low carbohydrate and a high protein diet. And in fact, cats do have very high protein requirements anyway. And if you think about their, their sort of normal diet in, in the wild, being lots of uh, little mice and uh, other small rodents, then that too is a diet that is actually very low in carbohydrates and, and their physiology is just not very good at dealing with carbohydrates uh, but a lot of modern diets that are available for cat food do have carbohydrate in them um, and certainly dry foods actually need a certain amount of carbohydrate just to hold that kibble together. Um, it's really really hard to get a low carbohydrate dry food. Um, there are some available some therapeutic diets which are very good which are available but it is apparently very hard work to formulate those foods because having that carbohydrate helps that kibble biscuit stay together. So uh, this is why one reason why I've put a wet food is preferred because in general you can get a lower carbohydrate wet food than you can with a dry food. Also remember that your cat with diabetes does have quite high fluid requirements because of their diabetic state, even if a well-controlled diabetic cat is going to have high blood glucose at some points, and that is going to result in this loss of glucose in the urine, taking water with it, so a larger volume of urine produced, meaning that cat is vulnerable to dehydration if they don't also drink more.
So if you could absolutely dictate what your cat with diabetes ate, in my mind, it would ideally be a therapeutic diet. So that's one designed for diabetic cats, but also the wet formulation where possible. And if the cat doesn't like wet foods, then the dry formulation of the therapeutic diet is definitely the best dry food rather than a, a standard sort of supermarket dry food, if you like. There are other modifications um, that often are made to uh, therapeutic diabetic diets. A lot of the pet food companies have spent decades researching um, all sorts of uh, illnesses that uh, our small animals get, and they've put that knowledge into their foods. And so, for example, having um, L-carnitine, antioxidants, vitamin E um, is all also thought to be beneficial in terms of supporting that sort of healthy metabolism and healthy glycemic control. And we certainly know that overall feeding these low carbohydrate diets to cats with diabetes is associated with a better outcome. In combination with insulin, um, we tend to find firstly a higher chance of diabetic remission. And secondly, those cats that do need insulin lifelong will have uh, lower dose requirements if they're also on a therapeutic diabetic diet. If your cat will not eat a therapeutic diabetic diet, then don't beat yourself up because there is only so much you can do to encourage your cat to transition to the, the diet of your choice. So my advice there would be certainly try the different brands because there are a number of different brands available. For example, Hills, Royal Canin, Purina would be brands that I'm extremely familiar with and use their diabetic diets. So you have a few different formulations and a few different companies to work through. Um, but if your cat proves, you know, it really will not eat those diets, um, then uh, ideally as low a carbohydrate a diet as possible. Kitten food was used in some of the original studies so that might be worth a try for your cat because it tends to be higher in protein and lower carbohydrate um, but also just bear in mind that you know if your cat will still only eat let's say the supermarket food for an adult cat you are still doing your best in every other way to support their diabetes. What about mealtimes and diabetic cats? Um, well, cats actually um, don't tend to have much blood glucose fluctuation after a mealtime. So with ourselves, when we eat a meal, often uh, uh, after that meal, our blood glucose levels will increase and you will see what's called a postprandial hyperglycemia. But that doesn't appear to be um, as, as uh, common um, a phenomenon in cats. And actually for that reason, Often uh, with diabetic cats, I will keep them on whatever food regime they were on prior to their diagnosis. So some cats are meal eaters and that's the way they've always eaten. They have maybe two or three or four meals a day from their carer. Um, other cats will be uh, fed ad lib. Um, and uh, if that's the way the cat has been fed at the time its diabetes is diagnosed, then I, I won't usually change that because of the fact that cats are less vulnerable to this postprandial change change in their blood glucose level. But as with all things, of course, talk with your vet who knows your cat personally and can pro provide the very best advice uh, for you regarding their care. So that concludes really what I wanted to say about diets. Obviously, the aim is that the low carbohydrate diet assists in glycemic control. And then we want to maintain a healthy body weight. So help that overweight cat to lose weight, help that underweight cat, uh, that's the cat that's lost weight because of its diabetes to gain weight and then maintain a healthy, stable weight going forwards. 
Insulin is the next uh, ingredient to our successful treatment plan. Um, and the majority of diabetic cats do need and do benefit from insulin therapy. And in the UK, we have two licensed insulins for management of diabetes in cats. Uh, we have one that is called can insulin, which is a, a intermediate duration um, insulin. So it's a, a relatively short uh, acting insulin um, and that is available um, in little bottles the picture on the left hand side but also in a pen formulation which some carers find uh, preferable to use certainly can be a little bit easier with cats that are on very low doses and most cats will just be on two or three units of insulin quite a tiny dose uh, to load up into a syringe it's important that when you use the insulin bottles that you use the correct syringes with them um, the veterinary insulin which include that can insulin, the intermediate acting insulin, and Prozinc, which is a longer acting insulin, uh, which uh, would be generally the first choice uh, now that this is available as an insulin for cats because of its length of action being that little bit longer. Um, both of these are 40 units of insulin um, per mil most human insulins are 100 units per mil and the really key thing is to use the right syringe you find you will get syringes that are designed for 40 units per mil and syringes that are designed for 100 units per mil and it's really important to use the right one with the right insulin and of course your vet clinic uh, would definitely help you with that in terms of, of uh, which of these insulins, as I've just mentioned, um, the consensus currently is that if uh, a cat is diagnosed with diabetes today, the preference is for it to be prescribed a longer acting insulin twice a day. So the prosync of the licensed preparations would be the preferred insulin to prescribe for most cats because based on its duration of action given twice a day, that tends to achieve better control than can insulin, which is a shorter acting insulin. Having said that, of course, all cats are different and some cats will do better on can insulin because of the way they metabolize insulin. So this is not a generalization that should be taken um, as you know, absolutely definitive for all cats. As with everything, we need to consider the individual. And there are indeed in other countries um, different insulins, human uh, insulins, which are um, used in stabilising cats. But under our uh, regulatory guidelines, we in the UK are obliged to use the veterinary licensed formulations where those exist. And that is the can insulin and the prosync. But I will mention insulin glargine in just a moment uh, because it, it is used in, in some cases in the UK, but also around the world is extremely popular. And that's a human insulin. So in general uh, principles of insulin therapy are that uh, typically your insulin needs to be kept in a fridge. The bottle should be upright. You don't want it sort of lying on its side or upside down because it can stick to the, uh, the rubber bung in the bottle. Um, you need to make sure that you use it within the recommended time period. So typically that's going to be uh, certainly no more than two or three months for, for an, uh, a bottle, but depending on the preparation, you may be recommended to change that every month. Um, and certainly if you try and stretch it out, that might mean that uh, perhaps that insulin is less effective if, if you do that. Um, we are very cautious, as I I've already said about insulin dosing in cats so we tend to start at quite a low dose uh, a quarter to a half a unit per 
kilogram body weight and just increase that dose very gently and very slowly as needed. So typically not more often than, than every three days. Um, so maybe twice a week, but maybe not even that often. Um, and just going up in little baby steps because we know for some cats actually, uh, it could take a few days for the full impact of that new dose to be uh, evident. And what we don't want to do is to overdose our cats with insulin because that is potentially very serious in causing this hypoglycemia, which could cause fits or coma uh, or even death so we we take it gently um, and as a carer I would say key message to you is to of course follow the instructions that you receive from your vet clinic and don't change the dose of insulin unless advised to do so by your vet clinic and if in doubt of course uh, contact your vet clinic for any clarification. So I said I would mention insulin glargine just briefly because um, it is certainly used in the UK. Um, we are, um, as I mentioned earlier on, we are obliged to use the veterinary licensed formulations of insulin as our first choice. Um, so uh, today I would, with a newly diagnosed diabetic cat, use Prozinc, the longer acting insulin is my first choice. Um, and if that doesn't seem to be suiting the cat very well, um, then um, unless I was seeing very prolonged duration of action, in which case I might try the shorter acting can insulin, um, I would probably go to glargine and glargine is a, an interesting insulin. It's a recombinant human insulin. So it's a little bit different uh, to the, the cat insulin um, and uh, this clear solution that forms little precipitates of, of uh, insulin under the skin once you're injected into the cat and then is released very slowly over several hours. And so it's often referred to as a peakless insulin because it's you're not a, uh, giving that full dose to the cat in one go because of the, the way that the insulin behaves in the body. It forms these little crystals which then just slowly release over a period of time. Um, it's been studied very extensively by a very well-known um, veterinary endocrinologist called Jackie Rand, who is an Australian vet. And uh, you'll see if you do a, a Google search for Jackie Rand, uh, so I think Jackie with a Q, uh, you will find lots and lots of papers that she's written about use of glargine in cats and had extremely good results and tending to get better diabetic remission results um, than we see in the UK uh, with our um, veterinary uh, insulins that are available. However, as I've said, we, we, we're not allowed to use this as our first choice insulin. And indeed, lots and lots of cats do extremely well on can insulin and Prozinc. For people who worry about injections, and of course, who wouldn't in many ways, um, you might be thinking, well, in diabetic people, I know some people take tablets, you know, is the same available for cats? Um, and people have used these, what are called oral hypoglycemic therapies um, in cats as well. And probably the main one that has been used and which I've used myself in some cases is um, a product called uh, glipizide. This is, uh, um, there's a picture here of one of the, um, available uh, formulations of, of glipizide and glipizide is um, a a group of, in a group of drugs called uh, sulfonylureas and these are medications that have a number of effects including stimulating insulin production and insulin release uh, by the pancreas. So they can bring down blood sugar and they can in some cases be effective. However, um, they tend not to be used very frequently because overall they are far less effective than insulin um, and also can be associated with side effects. Uh, for example, uh, side effects 
gets to the liver. So I have used glipizide in a handful of patients and I would say without massive success and the situations where it's tended to be requested have been situations where perhaps uh, the uh, care of the cat is just unable for for whatever reason to administer an insulin injection uh, but they are able to administer a pill so we try this first but sadly it's it's often not that effective. Um, some exciting news in, in the future, um, and apologies that this slide has just got a huge number of words on it, um, but um, there, there are some interesting um, studies going on in uh, the cat world as well as the, the human world in terms of diabetes. Um, and one interesting uh, possible future treatment is um, something called exenatide, which is an incretin an, uh, analogue. And these uh, incretins are produced in the body and uh, again, stimulate insulin insulin secretion um, and um, there has been a study published this is the summary of which is shown on this slide uh, whereby uh, very good results were achieved with um, using this as an injection um, and in, in this study once a week injection which uh, also is I think quite a nice thought in terms of frequency of injections compared to obviously our normal um, insulin is twice a day and actually these cats still needed insulin but they got more cats into remission um, with using this exenatide as well so this may be a future possibility available for our cats and that might help. So I want to spend just the, the next um, 15 minutes um, talking about how we monitor success of treatment of diabetes. And this is actually an area where um, input from the carer, input from you is actually, in my opinion, uh, generally more helpful than anything that can be done in the clinic and we can make a lot of decisions based on the sort of uh, information that we get from home as to how things are going. There are lots of things that we can follow, we can monitor, as I've put here, the cat's demeanour, so key thing here really is that most diabetic cats are quite bright and cheerful. If your cat becomes listless, lethargic, depressed, that may contact your vet clinic. And then in terms of the stability of their diabetes, uh, looking at things like appetite, thirst, body weight, amount of urine passed, whether there's uh, glucose in the urine, blood glucose levels uh, and the fructosamine test, which I'll, I'll explain, um, are all things that can help. Um, but uh, some things are more helpful than others. And, and the first thing that I think is really incredibly helpful is actually thirst uh, and urination. So as you'll remember, cats with diabetes, if they have high blood sugar levels, lots of glucose is passed into their urine and that takes water with it, which means they produce a large volume of urine with glucose in it. And then they have to drink a lot uh, to stop themselves from becoming dehydrated. And there is a very good correlation between a cat's thirst, their water intake and how well stabilized the diabetes is. And, and this is something that you may be able to get crude information from at home for example uh, just literally noticing well how often is my cat visiting the water bowl roughly how often they're drinking but even better is it actually if you can measure it in some way and even in multi-cat or multi-animal households there is a benefit to measuring how much water is being consumed in the household because in general any variation from day to day um, is going to be due to that diabetic cat and what's happening with it so it still can be very helpful but of course it's easier if you've just got one cat to monitor 
also looking at the amount of urine passed so perhaps the size and the number of urine clumps again easiest if you've just got one cat um, the weight of the litter tray but even in a multi-animal household if you normally say get you know six urine clumps per day um, and uh, your cat develops diabetes and that goes up to 10 urine clumps a day then when it goes back down to six again well yeah that's back to normal so that's looking quite good so all these things can be really helpful and from my perspective really what we want to see is that with management of the diabetes the thirst returns to normal the urination returns to normal and what we don't want to see are large variations day to day or through the week in the thirst and how much urine is passed also importantly for our cats in the particularly in the early stages of their diabetes being stabilized is if that thirst uh, returns to normal that cat may be entering diabetic remission and that again is a time to speak to your vet and say hmm my cat's thirst has completely gone back to normal. Um, you know, do I what? What should I do to make sure that I'm monitoring for diabetic remission? And uh, we'll talk about urine monitoring a little bit later. So I showed you a picture of Toot a little bit earlier on. This is uh, Toot or Toots in the picture here. And uh, Toot's owner uh, was very, very good at monitoring water intake. And I just uh, took a few photos of some of the, the uh, water intake logs uh, that he um, provided to me. And each line actually shows water consumption over a 12 hour period. Um, so depending on what screen size you're looking at and whether you can read this, um, I can tell you that at the start of Toot's diabetes, uh, she was drinking four or five hundred mils of water each day, which is a huge amount for a cat to be drinking. Um, but as the diabetes came under control, that fell to about 100 mils per day, which is, is still actually a little bit higher than many cats uh, would drink because actually she was on a wet uh, diet. So many cats on a wet food don't really drink at all but she did have some kidney disease she was quite an elderly cat so that accounted for that thirst but nonetheless we could see 500 when bad about 100 when things are going well and then the useful thing about this was that we had a few blips in our diabetic management as time goes on that's not unusual um, and so when Toots's thirst increased her owner was very aware of it contacted me for advice um, and uh, an example of uh, one cause of, of one of those blips was actually a urinary tract infection which diabetic cats are vulnerable to and that increases insulin requirements but once you treat the infection the the diabetes uh, comes back under control again so really useful to have that sort of data Blood glucose data can also be helpful, um, but it is a little bit limited because as we talked about last week, cats uh, unfortunately can have a stress associated increase in their blood sugar levels, what we call a stress associated hyperglycemia. And that means it's not always easy to interpret blood glucose readings, particularly uh, at the clinic and particularly if the cat has had any sort of struggles um, when blood sampling has been done, it can just mean that the results can be meaningless, very, very difficult to interpret. Those cats that don't get a stress uh, increase in blood glucose, then looking at blood glucose levels can be helpful though, particularly if things don't seem to be quite going to plan in terms of stabilizing the diabetes. Because if we take samples uh, and look at blood glucose levels through the day, we can see, well, is the blood glucose 
uh, dropping into the reference range, which is what we want to happen after our insulin injection. How long is it staying uh, low? Is our insulin lasting long enough? Do we need to give our insulin more frequently or do we need to give a higher dose? So monitoring blood glucose can be helpful. Um, and this is also something that can be done at home. And I'll show you a few pictures of that uh, in just a moment. So your vets may say if your cat is diabetic, we'd like to do a glucose curve um, and a glucose curve is where we take frequent samples, typically every one to two hours um, through the day to see what is happening to that uh, glucose level. Is it responding to the insulin? Uh, are we giving a high enough dose? Is the insulin lasting long enough? Um, and we can see just how the insulin is working out for that cat. And that can help us in the future if we want to decide, ah, oh, right, well, you know, X o'clock and Y o'clock are the times where we want to get samples in the future because that looks like it's when blood glucose is at its lowest, for example. So in a, a hypothetical sort of perfect case, a glucose curve might look a little bit like the example I've shown on this slide where we've got the glucose reading in millimoles on the y-axis going from uh, 0 to 20. And then on the x-axis along the slide, we've got a time. Uh, in hours, so uh, from uh, minus one through to time zero, which is when the insulin has been given, and uh, the following 12 hours. The red box is really where we would like our blood glucose to be for as much of the day as possible, because that's between about five and 12 millimoles per litre, which is below the renal threshold. So hopefully our cat will be uh, free of clinical signs of diabetes, but not too low to worry about hypoglycemia. And you can see that the green line here, which is our hypothetical glucose curve, shows that before insulin is given, this cat's blood glucose is 15 or 16. After insulin, the blood glucose levels come down. They stay within that red box for much of the next 12 hours before coming back up again. And you can see that the insulin at its peak, uh, the lowest blood glucose level, uh, is about four to six hours after the injection. Um, and that is giving a blood sugar of about six millimoles per litre, which is absolutely fine. We're not having to worry about levels being too low. Um, but we can also see that the insulin is, is lasting uh, for most of the 12 hours as well. So this is the sort of information we get. And some cats will tolerate you doing glucose monitoring at home. Um, and so this is something worth considering. And International Cat Care have got a nice video which you can look up on YouTube. Uh, it's called Home Blood Glucose Testing. And that runs through the technique, but I've just extracted some stills from that video and it shows how to collect a blood sample from uh, the ear vein of a cat. So the ear is quite thin skinned and it has this uh, peripheral vein uh, uh, that goes uh, around the, the edge of the ear and shining a light through the ear. You can see on this image, you can see that vein. Um, and if you warm the ear slightly and put a little bit of Vaseline over the, uh, the fur, that helps a little uh, bleb of blood form when you very gently uh, poke that vein with your needle and uh, and then you can collect uh, a tiny, tiny, tiny amount of blood uh, for your glucometer and the, the glucometer, the glucose reading device these days, they, they require just tiny amounts of, of blood. So you, uh, that drop of blood is enough for probably about 20 tests. It's, uh, it's absolutely loads, but it's not going to be compromising the cat in terms of blood loss either. So that might be a helpful video to look at. 
And something else that has recently um, been gaining a huge amount of popularity is a device which was designed for use in people, um, but now people are using in, in cats and dogs as well with diabetes. And this is called a Freestyle Libre, which is an indwelling device, uh, which you can see this sort of circular disc, which has a little tiny sensor which pokes through the skin and assesses the glucose levels in the interstitial space, the space between the cells uh, on a very continuous uh, fashion and you synchronize this with your smartphone and download the data and then you can for um, up to a couple of weeks collect data from that cat every day and see how effective your management is so it's something that I would say is is not needed if, if things are going well but if things are not going so well and you're thinking oh well you know what exactly is happening here this uh, could be a useful thing also to talk about with your vet and the sort of data you get uh, might look like this. This is some um, data from a patient called George. And um, you can see there are three different graphs shown on this slide. Um, the green band is broadly where you would like the blood glucose to be for as much time as possible. I would probably extend it up to the upper notch to the 12 millimole per litre level. Uh, but you can see that George is absolutely not controlled at this point. Uh, the graph on the right uh, at zero times of the day is his blood sugar within the, the region we would like it to be. The graph in the middle shows him having actually a little bit of a hypo and often when your blood glucose goes low the body uh, throws all it can at it hormonally to uh, to re return blood glucose levels and you tend to get then an overswing so a hyperglycemia which is where the glucose uh, blood glucose levels shoot up again and that seems to be happening here um, and the next dose of insulin has not had quite as, as uh, much of a, a hit so um, the trough level is not quite as low probably because of that uh, uh, overswing hyperglycemia that George has had. So these sort of devices definitely can can shed light on control, um, but probably also more traditionally would be this test, the fructosamine test, which um, if you've had a diabetic cat, your cat will probably have had one of these. Um, fructosamine is a complex between glucose in the bloodstream and protein in the bloodstream, specifically albumin. And if uh, the, there is uh, long enough time uh, for glucose to bind to albumin, uh, it will do so and form this complex fructosamine. And if there is a lot of glucose in the bloodstream, which of course there is in a cat with diabetes, then you will have a lot of fructosamine. So it can be helpful in diagnosing diabetes, but also in assessing control of diabetes. And typically, um, a cat with well-controlled diabetes will, will have fructosamine levels below 450. They may even be below 300, which would be a sort of normal result. Um, but a poorly controlled uh, cat may have a fructosamine of, uh, well, certainly more than 450, often, you know, maybe six or 700. And that again tells you, well, blood sugar levels have obviously been high, very high for a significant amount of time over the previous uh, two to three weeks, which is the half-life of fructosamine. Therefore, my diabetic control is not as good as it could be, and I need to do something about it.
Urine monitoring also I mentioned. So in the urine, what we're wanting to monitor is firstly uh, absence of ketones. Uh, if you find ketones in the urine, that's a definite call, call your vet emergency situation. But also um, for our diabetic cats, um, we want to, uh, generally we expect to see some glucose. Um, we obviously don't want there to be loads and loads of glucose, but we generally expect some glucose. And if there is no glucose, that again raises the possibility that the cat may have gone into this diabetic remission. The diabetes may, may be under control. So again, that would be a situation to speak to your vet and say, there's not any glucose in the urine, you know, what should I do? Should I change my management? So often what I would say, if at all possible, is particularly in the early stages of stabilizing your cat, if you can at home, monitor the urine twice a week, just gives you an idea as to, to what's going on. Uh, and of course, if you're concerned for cats unwell, that again is the time to, to maybe check for ketones. Although if there are no ketones, I would still contact your vet urgently if your cat is unwell, because some not all ketones are detected by the dipsticks. We also can monitor the cat for um, other things, so urine infections, um, and uh, sometimes uh, as part of a urine infection there will be blood in the urine, and uh, Royal Canin have these uh, granules called uh, uh, their hematuria detection granules, or blue care detection, uh, or blue care granules rather, that you can put onto the litter and they go blue even with tiny weeny amounts of blood in it, so if your cat has had previous problems with infection, having that uh, blue care product sprinkled on your cat litter might help you as a bit of an early warning system um, and contact your vet definitely if there's ketones if there's no glucose or if the glucose levels seem to vary very much then that again is all things that uh, your vet would want to hear about Monitoring body weight, really helpful. We know that uh, we want cats that are well controlled to have a healthy body weight that is stable. So if you can invest in some scales for home monitoring, that I think is helpful. Um, and uh, there are lots of, uh, I think, quite inexpensive scales now available on, on the likes of uh, eBay and Amazon. Keeping a diary of all these things can definitely be helpful and feeding back that information uh, to your vets. So noting down what dose of insulin you're administering, when it's being given, um, how your cat is behaving, how much food they're eating, um, how much water they're drinking, all these sorts of things um, can be really, really helpful as well as the, the urine monitoring we've talked about. Um, initially with my diabetic cats, I would want to be in quite close contact with, with their carer. So a weekly check, you know, body weight check, general check. We're going to be probably tweaking the insulin in those first few weeks uh, gently to try and stabilize things. And then of course, a fructosamine, uh, perhaps do a glucose curve if we're, we're not quite sure how things are working out, perhaps consider a freestyle Libre if again we need a bit more information. Um, but for many cats we can stabilise them and for a proportion of cats as we've mentioned we might get diabetic remission and uh, some clinicians as I mentioned get very very good results for diabetic remission so again Jackie Rand using Glargine reports you know up to 80% of the cases she sees entering diabetic remission and this is 
prompt and quite aggressive management of the diabetes with insulin that is associated with the best results and also using that therapeutic diet that we talked about. But I would say from my own experience, it's probably more like a third to possibly half of the diabetic cats that I would see where uh, diabetic remission might occur. But do all you can, of course, to, to help that. So if your cat is overweight, like Mr. Bugs was, losing weight, manage that pancreatitis if you can, remove those uh, diabetogenic drugs if you can, all those sort of things definitely help. Um, but these cats, remember, will probably be vulnerable to developing diabetes in the future. So final key points, um, diabetes is quite a common disease. It's not the most common endocrinopathy. Hypothyroidism is the most common hormonal disease, but diabetes is number two. Obesity, definitely a risk factor. So if your cat is overweight, uh, that's definitely something to be aware of. Also, as we talked about last week, certain breeds like Burmese cats have an increased risk of diabetes. Um, routine screening for this, well, iCat Care would recommend uh, a routine urinalysis in cats aged seven years and over. And one of the reasons for that is to screen for diabetes. So uh, monitoring urine is definitely helpful in my opinion. And in terms of management of diabetes, it's that combination of uh, therapeutic diets designed for diabetic cats plus insulin that generally results in the best outcome um, but as always all cases are different so speak to your vets your they know your cat uh, best and can advise you on what is the best approach for your cat and your situation but home monitoring certainly from my perspective provides really uh, massive input very very important input to, to case management and often uh, if i have uh, good data from the carer and it's uh, and slightly contradictory data from perhaps the fructosamine test i'm more likely to trust if you like the data from you and that includes things like body weight appetite thirst than a lab result so the data you collect is is extremely valuable in my opinion as always, there are some resources on the website that uh, are relevant for, for this presentation. So, for example, in terms of supporting fluid intake, we have a download on that. Um, so don't forget to have a look at the website. Um, the plan for next time's uh, Cat Cafe is that firstly, we've had to shift the date slightly from what was planned because of other commitments my end. So it's now a little bit of a pre-Christmas Cat Cafe, the 17th of December. Uh, I hope you'll be free to join me and my plan for that session is to talk firstly about some results from a an owner survey carers of cats with diabetes uh, which you may well have contributed to and this is a, a publication that that you can read a little snippet about on the website as well but i'll present a little bit more detail from that uh, really interesting results and also we can just have um, an informal uh, q a and discussion about anything that you would like to discuss and i think that the survey part of things i will probably try and uh, tailor to about 20 minutes so we have got a bit more time for whatever questions you might like to ask uh, pre-Christmas. And then the final, final thing to say is survey wise, we have got uh, a new survey uh, that we're supporting and involved with is about uh, coughing cats, um, cats with asthma, bronchitis or other causes of, of chronic coughs. So coughs that are lasting for several months or longer. Um, and uh, if you are able to participate in that, we'd be very grateful. We've sent out, I think, uh, one email about this and uh, one Facebook post. Um, it's 
uh, will be on the website shortly if, if not already quite there and we will be sending out more mailings but we would really love to have your participation in that study. Um, other studies that are still open include um, early neutering of cats which is open to all cat owners um, and also the um, squinting cat survey so uh, prevalence of squints and nystagmus the flickery eyes in certain breeds of cats uh, including uh, Burmese and, and ragdoll cats for example uh, which is open to anyone who has a cat of that breed whether or not they have a squint so they don't have to have a squint we just want to hear from owners of certain breeds and it is quite a long list of breeds but it is sort of Burmese and related breeds. So um, sorry that went on for a little bit longer than I had planned but I, I hope that was helpful um, and I will um, very happily answer any questions that you might have. Thank you very much. Thanks again for listening to this session. For more information, please visit vetprofessionals.com. You can find YouTube recordings of all Cat Cafe sessions on the video tutorials page. To find the video tutorials page, click on the helpful info menu on the homepage. Don't forget that you can attend future Cat Cafe sessions live and have the opportunity to ask questions and show me you and your cat on video if you like. You can read more about how to access these sessions on the video tutorials page of the website. Lastly, if you found this podcast helpful, don't forget to subscribe and add a review. Thank you.